um, let's open up God's word, Malachi chapter 3. It's on page 670 in the Pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, open it up, because uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in that particular passage that we're going to read here now. And if you don't own a Bible, consider the one in your hands a Christmas present, an early Christmas present from us. We'd love for you to take it home as our gift to you. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? But he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this season of the church calendar as we await the coming of Jesus in the manger on Christmas, and we remember the waiting that took place for thousands of years leading up to that very moment, and the waiting that takes place in each and every one of our lives every day as we await your coming back. God, I pray that you would just instill this into our hearts in such a way that our faith would be stirred and encouraged, that we might trust you in the midst of the waiting more when we leave than when we came. And all God's people said, amen. Well, as I said in my opening prayer, waiting is the name of the season in the church. We're waiting for Christmas. And as I think about waiting, I, I think waiting is, is kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? I mean, on one hand, nobody likes to be stuck behind a slow driver, right? Nobody likes to be, some of you are laughing. I'll get to that in a minute. I've got some things that were shared with me in between the services you're going to want to hear about. But, but waiting is not fun in those kinds of circumstances. Fast food restaurants, right? They're a dime a dozen because when we're hungry, we don't want to wait, and at the same time, instinctively, we also know that good things come to those who wait. See, which one is it, right? Back in October, I, I read an article. It was by a former, it wasn't by, it was about a former employee of one of the more popular food chains in the nation. Now, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. All I'm going to say is when Alyssa and I go, she tells me, Tom, you pick two. 
Good, we got some people who understand what I'm saying. Google it if you don't. Anyway, so, so this former employee, she no longer is employed by this establishment because she posted a video of how they make their famous macaroni and cheese. And the way the video is very simple, short video, is they take the frozen mac and cheese, it's in this like sealed bag, and they drop it in boiling water. And within like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, it's hot, they pull it out, open it up, pour it into the bowl, and it's done. Now, they posted this on social media, and it went viral. And so, of course, initially, the, the people that responded were outraged. How dare they not make my mac and cheese fresh? But almost immediately after that, people piped in with what I think was the true wisdom of the day and said, you know, if you can walk into that restaurant and they can make you a bowl of macaroni and cheese fresh in about 30 seconds, how did you imagine that they made it? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, just be, let's just be real. When it comes to waiting, we need to agree that, that it's a part of everyday life, right? It's a part of everyday life, and it's, it's a tension, and it's a tension that we more or less have to manage. And I, I use that as a phrase that I heard years ago by a pastor. His name's Andy Stanley, and uh, he used it in a leadership talk, but I think it's, it's good for life. He said that in life or in leadership, there are always problems to be solved, and then there are tensions to be managed. There's problems to be solved and there's tensions to be managed. They're different things. And so when you try to solve a tension like it's a problem, what you end up doing is creating a problem. The problem is hunger, right? The tension, the problem it needs to be solved by eating. The tension is that we're so busy that we need to balance between making a fresh home-cooked meal and every once in a while getting something faster like a cheeseburger at McDonald's. The problem, according to Pastor Stanley, is when we see the tension as a problem. And I'll give you the example that I just gave before. What happens when you see the slow driver in front of you as a problem to be solved? Instead of attention to be managed, you end up kissing their bumper, right? Now, I had, I had, I've gotten some very colorful um, responses to that illustration after the first two services. I had one woman come up to me. She said, Pastor, I am the woman who people get stuck behind. And I just want a bumper sticker that says to them that the closer you get, the slower I'll drive. That's what she said. I had the best one, though. So, so you know, we, we experience this, right? And I'm usually the one that's antsy about it. And I just want to go, go, go. And, and so what happens, right, when we get antsy like that, we kiss their bumper. We're trying to solve the problem. Maybe some of us even give a nice little strategic wave with a strategic finger. You know what I'm saying? Right? Now, now, after the last service, somebody said to me, she said, Pastor, I have to be honest, I don't do that because I'm afraid that it might be my pastor who's driving. <laughs> and I looked at her, I said, you know, it's, it's really funny you say that. I don't use that finger either because I'm afraid I might be the pastor of the person in the car. And so maybe you're like that, you know, we're a little bit more reserved, but our blood pressure feels the way it would feel if we had the outburst. It's through the roof. Now, I'm not saying waiting is pleasant. I don't think anybody enjoys it. But God seems to do some of his best work in the midst of it as well, doesn't he? He seems to do some of his best work in the tension. Have you ever gotten stuck behind a slow driver? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. 
You ever gotten stuck behind a slow driver only to find that a couple miles down the road there's an accident that took place that if you had been a little bit further down the road, you might have been a part of? Just show of hands. How many of you have experienced that? Keep your hand up and everybody look around because it happens to you and, and you don't think it's happening to anybody else, right? All three services, almost half of the people in the room raised their hand. You've experienced this, right? Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just that you learned the lesson that on that stretch of road, you need to give yourself a little more time. And so you're late that time, but you're more relaxed and on time in the future. It's often in the moments of waiting that we see that we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than that moment. We're part of a bigger plan that in this particular moment, maybe we cannot see. And that's what brings us to our reading for today. We're in our fifth week of our series, Presence, and, and we've been climbing through the Bible. We've been starting at the beginning, and we're heading toward Christmas. And what we're seeing is that from the very beginning, generations of people waited in tension for the presence of God to come on that first Christmas. Now, the first week, we talked about how at the very beginning of time, God's intention in creating everything was to be present with humanity. He was with Adam and Eve. And what happened immediately was that we were the ones that broke the relationship. We broke our relationship with God, and we broke our relationship with other people. We broke the presence. That's what we did. That's another definition of sin. Sin is not just checking religious boxes so that you can make sure you're a holy roller. The reason God calls us to live a certain way is because there is a certain way that will restore or will maintain our relationships, and if you live outside of that, what happens is you break them. And that's what happens happened back then. And from that point forward, God's overarching plan all along has been to bring people back into his presence through the order of his presence. But that did not happen overnight. And what we see is that the waiting for them was as painful as waiting can be for you and for me. And the people that we meet in the Bible did some of the same things that you and I do when we're waiting. They complained. They grew impatient. They took matters into their own hands and ended up making the situation worse. And it's in that moment of tension that we find ourselves in the Old Testament prophet book of Malachi. Now, Malachi is kind of a cool, cool name. I think it would be even a cool name to give your kid because in Hebrew, it means my messenger. And it comes from our verse, the first verse of chapter 3 from our reading today. It goes like this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I will send a messenger, and I will send the messenger to tell you that I'm coming, that there is help on the way, that the light is at the end of the tunnel. And I think about the moments of waiting, and I think, isn't that half the battle to know that help is on the way? Isn't that half the battle to know that there's hope at the end of the tunnel? I, I think, how many of you use GPS in, in your car, on your phone? How many of you use a GPS that has real-time traffic updates? Like, is that not the best 
thing to come since the actual GPS. I, I remember I had a GPS, you know, when they first, maybe not when they first came out, but for at least 10, 15 years, we've had one in our home that we've been able to use. But, but the beauty of that, that real-time traffic is not that it sometimes reroutes you. I think that's nice. But, but oftentimes I find, I think I'm in traffic the same amount of time that I ever was. The difference is when I look at that GPS, it tells me exactly how long until the traffic is going to break up. <laughs> You see that little red line, and at the very end, I'm glad Becky's like, yeah, I get it, right? <laughs> like it says, in nine minutes, the line is blue, and you're going to break through. And it makes it more bearable to sit in the moment because you know that the end is near. Well, God sends his own messenger to kind of say the same thing. I'm coming. And he sends him to, to, to a people who have been desperately waiting for God for longer than any traffic jam. They have literally been waiting for generations. So at this point, their hope isn't even just for themselves. It's for the future generations of their people. And even with this promise that Malachi shares, these people would still have to wait from a historical perspective. They would still have to wait over 400 years before the promise that we read just today would come true. They would wait over 400 years before God would send a prophet, John the Baptist, to announce the coming of Jesus. But we got to back up for a minute. If you missed any of the um, segments in this series, we, we talked for two weeks, we talked about Exodus, right? We talked about Moses. We're past that point now. We're past the burning bush. We're past the parting of the Red Sea. We're even past the kings like David and Solomon. And we're past Jerusalem and the beautiful temple Solomon built. We're past Israel as a nation being just one nation. They ended up getting torn apart by civil internal war and eventually enemy nations came in and literally removed these people from their home and we're past all of that now and the book of Malachi is written to a remnant people who have been sent back people who have moved back home into Jerusalem they've been able to move back they've been able to rebuild the temple and that is who Malachi is writing to now we don't have time to go through all of the other different um, prophets in the Old Testament, but Haggai, Zechariah, for example, these were prophets that were brought to send a message to rebuild the temple. They did that. Ezra taught them on how to worship again, the way God called them to at the very beginning and how to live moral lives. Nehemiah led them to build the wall again around Jerusalem and to care for the poor. And yet after everything that happened, over generations, these people were restless. They were restless even though they were back home because all the way at the very beginning there was a promise that was made to their people. Do you remember that promise? That these people would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. That God would use their people not only to bless them but so that they could bless the entire world. That was the promise. But that was a long time ago. And I think about it, it's kind of like those of us who start out lives wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. <laughs> you think about the season of life when you're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Maybe, maybe for you, you never got to experience that. You had a hard upbringing. But most of us, can, we can point to some moment in our lives that, that really just opened up our eyes to the potential of the world, right? Like, like maybe for you, it was back when you got your, your license, your driver's license, and you got your first car. Like, who needs more than that, right? 
Like the world is your oyster. Maybe if that's not you, maybe it was when you graduated, you went to college. Maybe it's when you got to live on your own for the first time. Maybe it was when you got your first full-time job, you could actually pay your own bills. It felt so wonderful to be independent. Maybe it was when you got married or you bought your first home. It's your treasure. It's your castle. Maybe it was when you had your first child. I mean, you think about all those things and you just think there's so much promise and potential early in life, isn't there? And then we go through stuff. (laughs) Then we go through stuff. You guys are nodding because each one of us has stuff that we could point at. You lose the job. And you realize that there isn't as much security in that as you thought there was. You, you realize life is expensive. That beautiful house that you just bought needs a new roof. You, you get divorced. That wasn't part of the plan. Your health that you took for granted for so long comes back and you get cancer. And even though you're in remission now, you realize that life is never going to be the same. At this point in Malachi, these people... We're not as wide-eyed and bushy-tailed as they were at the beginning. They are exhausted by life. They're exhausted so much so that they're technically back home, but it's not the same. And they're so tired that they even ask the question that many of us are too afraid to even utter out of our mouths. In the very first chapter, the second verse of Malachi, it says this, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? You ever, you ever been there? The trials for them, the pain, and specifically the waiting for so long for this glorious future that God has promised has become so painful that they're wondering, does God even care anymore? Have you been there? I have. <laughs> and there's two ways I think we can have an attitude about this place in our lives. The first one is we can look down our nose. And we can look at someone else in that situation, or even ourselves. You know, sometimes we're our own worst critics, aren't we? And you can look at yourself and you can say, look at all that God has done for you. Can't you just be thankful for what you have? And you can say that to the people that Malachi is talking to. They have a temple again. They're back home. They're with their their people. How can they possibly wonder if God still loves them. And you know, it's easy for us to say that, but it's not that simple for anybody who understands what it feels like to wait. For those of us who who wait for God and have experienced the pain and loss in that process, it is not that easy. The thing is, if you want to experience the joy or even just the peace and the comfort to know that God is with you, what we're going to learn today is the alternative to looking down your nose is that the presence of God brings trust. The presence of God brings trust. And I don't flippantly say that. What I mean is that the most difficult thing you might be able to do in the midst of waiting is to trust God. The most difficult thing, the most faith-filled response you can have in your circumstances when you see them as a tension to be managed is to trust that God is the one who is going to solve the problem. And if you don't believe that that's the way God designed us to live, let's just, we went really deep, right? Really fast. Let's just go back to that slow driver out on the road, right? Isn't that the best way to approach a slow driver? To relax, (laughs) 
and realize that this is a tension to be managed and wherever it is that I have to go is not so important that I need to endanger the lives of the people around me or even my own blood pressure by getting all worked up and concerned? Why wouldn't it work that way in the rest of our lives? See, the problem, though, is we don't live like that. Our natural response is not to live like that, and so we need a warning so that we know that that is the way we're called to respond, by choice and through the strength of our faith. And so I said at the first two services, I said, let this be your warning. Today, I'm your prophet because I guarantee a percentage of you are going to leave this church, and you're going to get on the road, and you're going to get behind that lady at the 8 o'clock service that said that she drives really slow. And, And you think I'm joking, right? This is the third service. I had a woman come back after this first service. She's not the slow driver. And she came back for the choir practice that Ted was mentioning. And she said, Pastor, you're not kidding. I was on my way here, and there was a slow driver in front of me the whole way. They They were at this intersection, and they could make a right turn. It was at a red light, but they chose not to. Doesn't that just make you mad? And she was in that moment. I'm telling you, you're going to be in that moment too, and you're going to feel the anger, which is why you need the warning. Today's your warning. Don't do that. Know that there's a better response. God knew that people needed the same thing. And so he sent John the Baptist. He was the prophet that came before Jesus to prepare the way of the Lord. And John is the one who says to people that you need to come back. You need to come back. He's the one that Malachi had called and prophesied all of those generations ago. And he had a very simple message. It's very simple. In Matthew chapter 3, we can read it. He said this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I can't think of a more Christmassy word than the word repent, right? Repent. I suggested at the last service, it didn't go over well, that maybe we change the name of our church from St. John's to Repent Church. Like, I mean, wouldn't that help you when you invite your friends to come on Christmas, right? Just come to Repent Church, right? We're serious about our faith. That'll be our tagline, right? (laughs) It sounds really harsh, but it's in the lectionary, the, the, the three-year rotation of Scripture that, that the church reads during this season always calls to John the Baptist. You know why? Because repent could also be defined as trust. What John the Baptist came to do, like, like take that word out for a minute and take out all the signs you've seen held in the side of the road. What repent was, was John the Baptist saying, Jesus is coming to make good on all of the promises, to fix the problems of the world, to draw you back into his presence. And the only way that you can prepare for that is by repenting, which means to turn from all of the other things you've learned to trust in the waiting, all of the things that ultimately are going to fail you, you need to turn away from those things so that you can be prepared to grab a hold of God. But see, I don't know about you, I, I don't like doing that when I have everything I need. <laughs> I don't like doing that when I'm in the seasons of life that feel wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. It's in the moments of waiting that I learn that. It's in the moments where things aren't perfect, when I need help to come, and I needed it yesterday, that I am drawn to my knees as I wait for God to come. And the reason we're drawn to our knees is because we need his power. 
Last week, Steve Quist gave an awesome message. If you missed it, go online, listen to it. It's phenomenal. And, and the point of it was that God's presence brings power. Power to part the Red Sea. Power to, to, to save Daniel from the lion's den. That same power is available to you and me, but you will never experience the power if you don't trust God. If you don't put your trust in God. And so we need to remember that that is not going to be our natural response. You know what our natural response is in the midst of waiting? It's getting angry. Our natural response is to complain, to take things into our own hands. That's what's natural. That's what the people were doing at the time of Malachi. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's going to be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. That doesn't sound comforting, does it? But that's what happens. That's what happens in the moments of waiting. That's what happens in the moments that you need God. And I shared this at the last service. My wife Alyssa and I, we're in our fifth year as foster parents. And I just saw on Facebook just this morning, there was this picture of a little guy who, who we took care of for a year and a half, and that was three years ago now. My wife took a picture of the two of them watching TV. Um, him, I'm sorry, and, and our son, Evan. And, and we've been through this now a couple of times where each time we take care of a child... There's, there's a predictable process that it gets to a place where there's some very important decisions that are about to be made about the future of that child. And it is always in that moment that we bonded with that child, that we love that child, that that is the focus on, uh, on our minds and in our hearts and all of those different things. And then just like anything in the government or anything that feels like important in life, you got to wait forever to get to the end of the road. But what happened just this week, we, Alyssa and I, we had, a, we had a meeting, and it was an important meeting, and we were in the midst of all of this waiting. And we were driving up to this meeting, and, and I looked at Alyssa, and I told her, I said, you know, this is a strangely familiar place to be, because we've been through this before. I don't want to say that I like it any more than I liked it in the past, but I recognized that I am exhausted from the waiting. I don't feel like I have anything more to give. But because I know that it is God and his power that is sustaining me, it is literally forcing me to my knees to pray out of desperation. And I shared that with, with my wife. And she said, you know, I, I, I too experienced the same thing. She told me, she said, I fasted all day yesterday because I didn't even have the words to pray. But I knew that I needed God in my life. Friends, you know what, what I'm talking about. For you, I, I don't know what it is. I, I had somebody come through and, and tell me that they're praying for a job. Other people who are praying for health. I don't know what it is for you, but these moments are like a refiner's fire that draw us to the trust of God. And that's exactly what Malachi said. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Gold and silver is good. That's what we want to become. But the process to get there is hard. And what we know about the context of this passage is Levites were priests. 
And in this moment in history, they were corrupt in this new temple. And so they were taking matters into their own hands. And God is saying without any, any mincing of words that he is going to turn them back to him. And then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. The people who Malachi is, is speaking to, for reasons that we can all relate to, have lost their faith in the midst of waiting for God. They have lost their faith, and they don't trust him. And so in a very practical expression of their lack of trust, they stopped giving offerings to God in the temple. They stopped. They just stopped giving him their money. But there's a day coming, says Malachi, when people are going to trust God again because they're going to see that he has come to draw them back to him. Verse 5, so I will come put you on trial. I don't know about you, that sounds like the, the, maybe the, the verse that we should choose for repent church, right? <laughs> As our memory verse, we find our hope in that, right? I will come and put you on trial. Again, this does not sound like a Christmas message, does it? But let's continue to follow. Who is God coming to put on trial specifically? What is it that he is going to come and test? I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers. The sorcerers. Do you know what the sorcerers are? It's the empty promises that this world makes. The cliches that when you're in the midst of waiting and pain, they just bounce right off of you because it just doesn't matter. He is going to come and he is going to test those. Those are going to be put to trial. Adulterers and perjurers. That's those who buy into the lie that says cheating or lying will somehow fix your life. Those who defraud, <coughs> excuse me, laborers of their wages. Those are people who steal. Those who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, taking advantage of others, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. These are all these obscure examples, but do you know what they all have in common? They all come down to the same basic question. Do I trust God? Do I trust God? See, that's the only reason anybody steals Right? Like, I, I have two options in life, right? Like, when I leave this place, I can, I can trust that God's going to continue to provide for my family, or I can break into a bank on my way home. <laughs> I mean, it's a crazy example, but isn't it all rooted in trust? Isn't it all rooted in whether I trust that God is going to give me what I need in the days to come, or whether or not I am going to get it somewhere else? Isn't that what happens when you lie See, we all lie, right? We, we do it. Maybe it's a little white lie. Maybe it's a big lie. But it's this, this belief that I don't trust that the God of truth is going to make things right. And so I need to hide behind the mistruths. It's his wisdom instead of the wisdom of the world. To fear the Lord is to trust God. And there's a day coming, says Malachi, where all the other alternatives that we grab onto are going to be put to shame. And the reason why is because of verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. He reminds them to look in the mirror and see that as painful as this season has been, they are still there. God has still sustained them. As long as they have been waiting, they have not been destroyed. Are they broken? Yes. 
Are they tired and riddled with questions? No doubt, but they have survived. And so God says to them, my promises are still true. Look, you're still here. And if you're still here, what that tells you is that I am not finished yet. Verse 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from me. This is the human condition. (laughs) You have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And then they ask the question, how do we return? And I don't have time to go through all of it, so I'm just going to give you the synopsis. You know how God answers that question, how do we return? He says, trust me. He says, trust me. And if you don't believe me, look it up. He says, trust me. Their issue was the offering, right? So he says, give your offering and then test me. Like, like God doesn't usually say, test me. He says, test me in this. Trust me. Step out and see that I am going to provide for your every need. Trust me and wait. And friends, it would take another 400 years for these prophecies to come true, but God will come. And while 400 years might sound like an infinitely long time, when God comes, he came to bring something infinitely greater and beyond what they ever could have hoped or imagined, the gift of eternal life. See, they wanted a kingdom. They wanted a temple. They wanted it to be the way it used to be. And yet on Christmas, God sent his son to literally bring heaven down. And so when you think of the things that you're intention and waiting for, can you think of a better reason to wait? I remember... When I was growing up, there was this family just a few miles from us. We lived in a small town, so everybody was a few miles from us. And um, I think I could even walk to their house through the woods. I, I remember that. And, and I remember they experienced the devastating house fire. When you live in a small town, like even like Elkhorn, right? Everybody knows when something like this happens. It was terrible. And they lost their six-year-old son in the fire. He hid in the closet, put a blanket around himself, and... He passed away before the firefighters could reach him. And, and I remember, I was only like seven or eight, if I did the math right, when it happened. But I still remember the community going to great lengths to surround this family. I remember they collected money. Uh, I remember siblings, friends, mourning in the small town elementary school that I grew up going to. I remember driving by that house on the road in the days and months to come. I remember vividly the charred walls. I remember the broken windows. I remember the melted siding. And I remember how that eventually turned to dumpsters and particle board. And then that followed with construction crews until finally a brand new house stood in the same place and on the very same foundation as the old one. And if I remember right, the only thing that remained from the first home was this this stone chimney that happened to be traveling along the front of the house. It was the only thing that was left. So that on the outside, everything looked fine. I mean, if I told you what road it was and you took a ride after church today, my guess is you probably wouldn't even have a clue of what it is that I'm talking about. But I don't have to tell you that when that family moved back in, all that was lost was not yet found. And friends, that's why God took his time, his perfect time, 
And that's why the world had to wait, because his plan was to make all the wrongs right in this world. That's why on Christmas, it really isn't about the presence under the tree. It is about the presence of God. And that isn't a statement that we make as righteous followers because we are any better than anybody else, but it is because it is the desperate message that the world needs to hear that help came 2,000 years ago in the form of a baby in a manger so that he could grow up and die a death that we deserve on the cross so that three days later he could conquer that death and welcome us home into a mansion that cannot be destroyed by fire or anything else. And you know what else is true about that place? I was just, I had to think a lot about this this week. You know what else is true about that home in heaven? There's going to be no waiting. (laughs) None. Because in that moment and for every moment to follow, all that has been lost will be found forever in him. So that until that day, we can think about that promise and listen to the truth as it comes to the messenger who is sent to prepare the way of the Lord and trust. Because my guess as I look out at this group of people who are gathered here is that we probably all look a lot like that burned house that was rebuilt. I mean, you guys clean up nice, I have to say. (laughs) But on the inside, you've been burned too. And there's places that are still empty that you're waiting for God to fill. And I know, I know I am right now. Maybe for you it's a healing that you've been praying for and it hasn't come. Maybe you're like the guy that walked out at the end of the second service, and he said, I'm still praying for a job. This needed to know this hope because I still haven't been called. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's a child that hasn't been born or a dream that hasn't yet come true. And I want to close with a reminder that I said at the beginning, I don't like waiting any more than you do. I don't know that anybody ever has. But instead of choosing to look down my nose at myself or anyone else and say, you should be thankful for what you have, instead I want to choose to have my hope in the one who has already come and who has promised to come back. Amen? And the way that we can have that hope is by being reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul when he said this to the church in Corinth. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side. You will not find an easy life in all of Scripture. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed perplexed with questions, but we are not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. We're not alone, struck down, but not destroyed because Christmas is the same message for us as the message was through Malachi 2,400 years ago. God does not change and our trust draws us back to him. And so let's do that right now as we pray. Lord God, we need to pray. We need to pray like I needed to pray this week. Like my wife needed to pray. Like that gentleman who left the last service and is waiting for three different jobs to come in and it's been longer than their budget allowed and it's been longer, it's been putting stress on their family. God, so many of us wait 
And so we need to be reminded that you are a God who is present with us. And not only does your presence bring order, not only does your presence bring peace, not only does your presence bring power, but we can't experience any of that unless we trust you. And so, God, I pray that even my words up front here might give words to those who don't have them in this moment. Would you give me faith to trust? Would you give us faith to trust that you are a good Father in heaven who knows how to give good gifts to his children? And that if it takes 10,000 years for those gifts to come to fruition, it will be worth every second of waiting because of what you have promised to do for us. And unlike the people who Malachi spoke to, we have infinitely more hope (laughs) because we have 2,000 years of history to know that, that Jesus, you came to be with us. It's a historical fact. And so how can we help but not trust that you will come back? We choose to trust you. And we choose to to ask you to help us trust you by reminding us of your promise that you would be with us until that day, that your presence doesn't begin then, but it begins right now that your Holy Spirit is with us as it was with the disciples and through you on the day that you would be betrayed. As we open our eyes, we, we take bread and we break it the way Jesus broke it with the disciples and we remember what he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember. After the supper, he took the cup of blessing and gave thanks and gave it for all to drink and said, take and drink this cup as the new covenants in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. God's word says that someone might die for someone they know, they love, someone who's good. But Jesus went so far 2,000 years ago that we might trust him that he went to a cross and he died. He gave his life. He poured out his blood so that we would see under no circumstances that we could even doubt that we can trust in our God because he was willing to come down from heaven and to be with us. And if you need that assurance... It doesn't come from just a message. It doesn't come from just coming to church. It comes from the real presence of Jesus. And that is Jesus' promise to us as we gather around this meal. It's a meal of trust. And so I want to invite you to experience that with us because God invites you if you believe it to be true. And the way we prepare for this message is simply by opening up our hands and receiving what we cannot do for ourselves. As we open up our hands and surrender our hearts, we even give our words to God as we pray the way Jesus has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As the ushers come forward to dismiss you by row, come. Come to the table.